Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this brand new episode, we're talking about goals and goal setting, how the very nature of the way you set those goals can have a dramatic impact on their outcome, and how my years in Formula One taught me some great lessons on how to navigate that process. Welcome to a new season. Welcome to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Welcome back everybody. Welcome to a new year, a brand new season and of course a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. This was something that I started back in 2021. I really enjoyed. Many of you clearly enjoyed it too. But that was 10 very specific episodes on very 10 on 10 very specific subjects. Subjects that I now travel the world talking to big organizations and companies about. Things like teamwork, the idea of marginal gains, coping with pressure, working as part of a team, all manner of different subjects that I now impart on these big organisations that I go and see around the world, sharing the things that I learnt from my time in the pit lane. This podcast came about because I realised that many of those lessons are not corporate specific. They're not lessons that only apply to big companies and organisations. They're not only, they're not even lessons that only apply to business. They are lessons that apply to all of us on a daily basis. And the fact that I had a sudden realisation that many of the things I do, the way I live my life today, is shaped in no small way by some of the things that I learned from my privileged experience that I was able to have in this elite environment of the F1 industry, let alone a team like McLaren. And so I thought I would be able to share some of those with you. That's where the podcast came from. In 2022, I mean, I've missed it, so I want to get get going again. I've been wanting to do this for a while. This time around, a little bit different. This time around, what I'm trying to do is make notes every day in my diary. I've been keeping a diary for a long time, but now I'm making notes at the bottom of each page of things that were noteworthy, things that I feel might be worthy of deeper discussion, things that I went through, things I noticed during my day, things that maybe challenges that I either overcame or didn't, succeeded at or failed at, things that have happened in the F1 world that perhaps we can pick up and learn some stuff from together. It's that kind of discussion that I wanted to have this time around. I want it to be an honest, open discussion. I'm prepared to be fully open and honest on my part. I'd love it if you guys would contribute from your side as well in the form of comments and suggestions, feedback. Tell me if you like it or not. Tell me the kind of topics you'd like me to cover. If you've got questions that you want me to try and pick apart and answer, send them in however you want. Whether you're watching on YouTube, just drop a comment under the video. If you're listening in one of the podcast doors, you know how it works. Drop me a little message in one of those places and I will find them all. I will read them all and will try and collate the best ones to apply to next week's episode. And that's how I'd love this to go. So look, I'm going to jump straight in and start. And the very first note, we're now in February as I record this at the beginning of February. So just over a month into a brand new year, The first note I wrote was, well, it's way back on the 1st of January. And the note simply says, goals, starting the year right. And it was around 
New Year's resolutions. And the reason that I wrote that down and thought we should pick up on it and, and delve a bit deeper into it was because in that I found it interesting that people pick a certain day of the year to set themselves their new goals and targets, to reassess their life, if you like, and set themselves a challenge for the year ahead. Of course, it's perhaps natural in one sense, it's the beginning of a calendar year. But these goals that people tend to set themselves are goals designed to improve their lives, to improve their health or fitness, maybe to improve their wealth, their standard of living, the way they go about doing things. They are generally goals that are designed to make life better for the individual. And yet we tend to wait to impl implement those goals until a specific date on the 1st of January. And the reason that this cropped up for me was because when I was back at McLaren and, you know, we were racing in a slightly different calendar format back then. We'd finish racing probably in October. We'd go back into the factory for a month or two. And then in November... Typically, we'd wrap things up and we'd have so much holiday stacked up from the year that we hadn't been able to take that we would disappear at the end of November, have the whole of, of December off and then come back after Christmas in January. And around that time, people started to wind up for Christmas a month earlier than many other people do and have these discussions around what are you doing for Christmas? You know, what's what are you what are you looking forward to next year? What are your New Year's resolutions going to be? And this happened a lot. People asked me in November what my New Year's resolutions were going to be. They had theirs set perhaps already. They knew what they were going to be. And yet they were going to wait over a month before actually taking action on those things that they were convinced were going to improve their lives. I used to find it really intriguing. Why wait? Why not start today? That's how I used to respond to that. For that reason, I don't really have New Year's resolutions. So when I wrote this note on the 1st of January, it was because I saw everybody around me setting these new targets. Now, there's nothing wrong with setting a goal or a target on the 1st of January. What is, in my mind, slightly strange is that if you have known that that's what you want to achieve for some time, but have waited till the 1st of January, that's perhaps a signal that you're not as committed to that goal, to that achievement as you might have otherwise been. And that was the way I used to look at it back in the day when people started talking about this in November. Now, if you did set yourself a goal or a challenge back in January, a New Year's resolution to go running, to eat healthier, whatever it might be. If that's you, 80% of you who set those goals now at the beginning of February will have stopped, will have let that fall by the wayside, will no longer be keeping up those routines that you committed to just a month ago. 80%, possibly more. Now, if you are still going with those, still going strong, congratulations, that is amazing. You are genuinely in the minority. But the point is, if you didn't continue them, if you've let them fall away, it's not too late. You don't have to wait until next January to get going again, which is kind of the way I feel a lot of people see this. Just start again. Start now. Because the very point of making the change was that you're looking to improve your life and the way you live your life. So if that point is still valid, if that goal is still a valid one, if you still want to improve your life, there's no better time to, than starting today. The best time to make a positive change in your life was probably when you first thought of it. The second best time is right now. So let's go for it. Let's not give up. It doesn't matter if your first attempt failed, if your first attempt was derailed by 
life getting in the way by a change in circumstances. That's not the end of it. That's not it over. People put so much pressure on themselves because they commit to this very public start date of the 1st of January. Now, that can be a motivating factor. You can use that to help motivate yourself because you've told the world you're going to do it. Perhaps that gives you a little bit of extra motivation to keep it going. But it can equally be a negative because it can put so much pressure on some people when they see, when they open up their social media feed in particular. All these people still going and perhaps you've missed a couple of days and you start to feel a little bit like a failure. And when that happens, the motivation slips away even further and perhaps it gets put back and put back and put back and then it never happens. My point to you is let's not worry about what anyone else is doing. If you still have a feeling that there's something you could do, something you could change in your life that could improve it, well, let's start right now. Not even wait till tomorrow. Why not now? You don't have to do something physically right now, but commit, commit your mind to making that change and start the ball rolling. Put things in process to make that change happen. Let's go for it. Do it. If you want to tell the world about it, that you're starting in February, it doesn't matter. You're starting and that is better than a lot of people are doing. Now, that's one thing. The other thing around goals and New Year's resolutions that cropped up when I started thinking a bit more deeply about this was the idea of goals in general. And I'm going to bring this back to Formula One because the way we set our goals in life, I think, can have a huge impact on on how they are, what the outcome of those goals is. Now, I'm telling you this because we went through a process at McLaren back in the day, mid 2000s, when we really started to assess how we set our goals. Now, if you think about a Formula One team, you think about the typical goals that a Formula One team might set themselves, particularly one that's at the sharp end of the grid, as we were at McLaren. It's very natural to assume that your goal is going to be to win the world championship around this time of year on the brink of a new season, particularly perhaps on the brink of a new era as we are, as we sit here today. It's natural to think that if you are one of the big Formula One teams, it's a perfectly normal goal to want to win the world championship. Now, I spent 10 years at McLaren and every year, for the most part, that was our goal, certainly in the early part of my time in the sport. We were lucky enough to be operating at the sharp end of the grid consistently. We were winning races. We were a successful, very successful team with a hugely successful history and not winning the world championship for us was deemed as a pretty bad year. Something clearly had gone wrong. On a weekly basis, of course, our goal was to win the Grand Prix. And the same thing, if we failed in that, something had happened. That was expected of us to at least be challenging for the win. So our goals were very tangible things. They had a result attached to them, win or lose. Now, the problem with those kind of goals is that there's a very clear outcome one way or the other. It's pretty binary, isn't it? You either achieved your goal by winning the Grand Prix or winning the World Championship at the end of the season, or you didn't. Now, the problem with that is when you think about my 10 years in the sport, 10 years at McLaren, one of those 10 years, we won the World Championship. Now, that was an unbelievable feeling. Best feeling I had in racing. It was just incredible. The motivation that came off the back of that was, I mean, through the roof. I still remember the feelings I had 
in Brazil in 2008 when Lewis won that world championship in that the most remarkable way possible. Perhaps only topped over by the way the championship ended this time around in, in Abu Dhabi last year. And I'm not going to get into a discussion about exactly how that ended right now. But that moment when we won the championship was massively positive because we had set out to achieve the biggest goal in the sport and we'd done it. It was huge for everybody involved, the thousand people or so involved at that Formula One team. Now, I said to you, I spent almost 10 years at McLaren each one of those years aiming for pretty much the same goal. We always wanted to win the world championship. Yet for nine of those years, we didn't win it. For nine of those years, we failed in that mission. Now, I have done an entire episode of this podcast and do feel free to go back and listen to it on failure. There is nothing inherently wrong with failure. There's a huge amount that can be taken from those failures, a huge amount of learnings and actually from those nine years where we failed to win the championship, it was something from each of those years that ended up contributing to the win, of course, in 2008. So it's not that a failure is a complete loss. There's lots to be gained from it. But what we realised probably around the mid 2000s, when we really started to look into this idea of performance in all areas of what we did, and we started to look at sports science and look for those minor, tiny details of how we could improve every single element of what we do. Well, it was then that we started to look at the human side, the human performance side of those thousand people working in the team. The human psychology element of that and how impactful that could be on the outcome of any of our goals individually and collectively. And what happened was we employed a few sports psychologists who came on board and eventually joined the team as full time members. There was some scepticism around it, of course, back then. Psychology was deemed as being a little bit fluffy and a little bit of nonsense and have no place in this high pressure, high tech engineering centred world of Formula One. But actually, we and leading the way with this at McLaren were starting to look at the individual humans that made up our team and what led into each one of those performing at the very best level they could. Because, of course, it makes perfect sense that if each of those 1000 or so individuals are operating at their own elite level, their own high performance metrics, ticking the boxes to be the very best they can be. If we start to break that down into each one of those people, we can look at the various things that play into those performance levels. And it wasn't very long before it was very obvious to us that psychology, that well-being, that your mood, your confidence levels, the way you felt when you turned up for work in the morning, the environment that you operated in, the people that you worked with, the way you interacted with those people. So many of those soft skills, and I am doing inverted commas, soft skills. I don't believe they are soft skills, but that's how they're often termed can have a massive impact on the eventual outcome of anybody's achievements in work or just in life in general. And when we started to go through this and uncover some of these ideas that we began to explore, both on a human performance level, on a scientific level, on a psychology level, as I say, this idea of goal setting cropped up. The fact that the team and pretty much every other team in the sport 
set goals that were far more likely not to be achieved than they were to be achieved. Winning the World Championship, it's the hardest thing you can do in the sport. Of course, it's the biggest prize and everybody should have, and I'm sure does have, that dream, whether you're a driver, a mechanic, an engineer or whatever. The dream is there to win the World Championship or to win the Grand Prix on a Sunday. The problem with setting that as a goal is that, as I said, nine out of my 10 years in my career in Formula One, we did not win that World Championship. Now, my career to me doesn't feel like a massive failure. But if you just look at the metrics compared to our goals, it clearly was, wasn't it? We achieved our goal one time out of 10. Yeah, actually, we achieved so much more than that. And it was that realisation that really started to play a part in how we set those goals. Because what we realised was, if you don't win the Grand Prix, there can be so many factors as to why that happened. And please relate this back to your own life. The goals and targets you set yourself on a daily, weekly, monthly or even lifelong basis. There are so many factors, many of which are so far beyond your control that contribute to the outcome of those goals happening or not. And it was the same for us as a Formula One team. We could go through a Grand Prix, execute the perfect strategy, perfect pit stops, bring performance updates to the car beyond our expectations. The drivers could be blistering off the start line and drive a fantastic race. And yet still, something could happen that could derail that performance and stop us achieving that goal. Now, that could be somebody crashing into you off the start. It could be running over some debris where a drain cover has popped up on the circuit. Nothing we can do about those things. And yet that could stop us achieving our goal that day. Now, if you come back to the factory on a Monday morning where a thousand people have had that one single goal of winning the Grand Prix or expand it further, winning the World Championship, and they may have sacrificed so much, put in some unbelievable hours, worked incredibly hard, delivered performance levels on an individual basis way above whatever anybody expected of them. They may have left no stone unturned and been at the very best of their game, and yet the goal may still have not been achieved. The problem with that and what we uncovered through this psychoanalysis of what everybody was doing and feeling and performing as a result of those feelings was that you feel demotivated. You feel low on a Monday morning. You feel broken. You feel like there was nothing more I could have done. Then you start to question, well, can we ever actually achieve that target or that goal? And then you start to wonder, you know, are you good enough? You have self-doubt creeping in. Maybe it was because another team brought an upgrade to their car that was simply better than yours and they had more performance on that particular day. There's nothing you can do about what another team does. And those demotivating factors, of course, all feed into the next day, the next week and the next month's performance levels of the individuals in that team. And if you look back at the way we do things on a daily basis, it's exactly the same. I set myself goals every single day. I've mentioned this in a previous episode. I write down three what I think are pretty achievable targets each day. Really simple ones sometimes. Things that I can tick off as I do them throughout the day. And that process of ticking them off one by one gives me a little boost, a little boost of dopamine that gives me a little bit of more energy, a little bit more motivation to move on to the next one. Makes me feel a little bit happier, a little bit more content that I'm not 
wasting my day. I'm going through the day achieving things. And at the end of the day, I can tick all three, hopefully, and it's even better. I've got an even bigger feeling of it was a positive day, constructive day. Now, the reason that I'm saying this and the, and the way I want to apply this to, or I want you to apply this to your lives, if you think about this on a more individual level rather than a, the, this idea of a Formula One team, in fact, there's a really nice way to describe this because there is a thing in psychology called gold medal syndrome. The gold medal syndrome is based on the premise that a gold medalist, an Olympian, spends at least four years, but probably many, many more years than that, training for this one event, the Olympic finals. And they are elite athletes. They're constantly, incrementally improving, pushing themselves, aiming for this big target, the gold medal, something they've probably dreamt of forever. That's the one target they've got. They need to be the best. They want the gold medal. And so they go through life. They go through the training program. They get to the Olympic finals. An achievement in itself. But probably for them means nothing because it's all about the gold medal. And then eventually after all of these heats and semifinals and finals, one guy, one person wins the gold medal. Everybody else in that event did not win a gold medal. So there were failures on that regard. That's pretty demotivating if you have gone through four years or more just striving for that one target of being a gold medal winner. That's one thing. But the other thing is that what happens with gold medal syndrome is the guy that won the gold medal because his life has been centered around that as a target and he achieved it. Great moment. And he enjoys it on the podium. The very next day, what happens? The very next day, where's his motivation? Because that lifelong goal has been achieved. And there are many cases well documented of sportsmen, athletes, gold medalists, world champions who in the days, weeks, months and years find their life turning to depression and in a downward spiral because they've suddenly lost their sense of purpose. What is their life now all about when actually for the, the whole of their life up until that point, it was about the gold medal. But now they have it. And look, that idea of setting a goal that is so tangible, it's so just a, a thing that you're going to at some point either achieve or not, is great when you achieve. It is a fantastic moment. And look, Formula One teams today and me as a member of a Formula One team back in the day when we went through this process, it never, ever stopped me dreaming of winning a Grand Prix or winning a world championship. We were lucky enough to go on and do those things. But the point was, what we agreed and decided to do at McLaren was reframe the way we talked about our goals and put those things, the big targets, they're always still there, but they're dreams, they're hopes and dreams, hopes and dreams that may come to fruition or they may not. But our goals and our targets became much more manageable. They became things that we had control over. Each day we should aim to be the very best we could be in whatever our roles were. On a Grand Prix weekend, we had to execute the very best Grand Prix weekend that we could. We had to deliver the best pit stops that we could as a team. We had to, over the course of a season, be the very best Formula One team consistently that we could be. And at the end of a Grand Prix, when those are your goals, whether you won it or not, 
and we have the debrief on a Sunday night or a Monday morning, you can look back very honestly and appraise yourself and assess yourself. Did we win that Grand Prix because we were the best? If we did, great. If we didn't win that Grand Prix, did we not win that Grand Prix because of something outside of our control? And if that's the case, did we still tick the box as operating in the very best way we could? Did we maximise what we had? Because that was the way we reframed our new goals. Could we maximise everything we had at our disposal at any given moment? And that is what I would love to see many of you reframing goals in that kind of framework. Can you maximise what you do in any given moment of any given day with what you have at your disposal? With what tools or resource, what people, what you have around you right now, can you maximise it? And if you go through life looking at it that way, you start to get little wins much more frequently. And that little hit of dopamine that I talk about when I achieve the one or two little goals that I set myself each day, it starts to come more frequently. And that has a big impact on your general demeanour and therefore your performance each day. And I'm telling you this from experience, it genuinely works. It works in a Formula One team. It works whether you work in an office. It works if you're a parent. It works if you're a kid. It doesn't matter. It just works. Just believe me on that. And I would encourage you to give it a go. There's a huge problem with the way that society at the moment portrays the people that particularly our kids look up and aspire to be. Social media has a huge impact on this. Influencers, and there's those air quotes again, influencers who are forever parading their Lamborghini on, on Instagram. It's no wonder that kids, our kids, kids of today will grow up as their goal being to either become an influencer or to have the Lamborghini. Now, that's not a healthy goal to have. They may well achieve the Lamborghini, but that's so far into the future that at the end of every day, if you assess whether or not you achieved your goals, of course, for the majority of your life, you didn't achieve your goal. You didn't have a Lamborghini at the end of most days of your life. And so therefore you failed. And so do you still have motivation? How hard is it then to motivate yourself the next day to keep pushing for that thing that you want in the future? It's a bit like if your goal is simply, and this is, again, social media plays a huge part in this. I think a lot of young people, particularly young people today, their goals in life are to get a million quid, get a million followers, to get a, a six pack. Those things, they're all great. They're all great dreams to have. They're all things to aspire towards. But if that's your one goal in life or your biggest goal in life, I mean, even take getting a six pack, right? You're going to go to gym, to the gym for probably six months before you've got anything resembling a six pack. You're going to go every day for six months and most days you'll come home, you'll look in the mirror, you don't have a six pack. Does that mean what you did that day was pointless and, fa and a failure? That's not what it means at all. But if you're reframing those goals as to incrementally improve your workout, to incrementally improve the way you eat more healthily, the number of different types of exercise you get, look at maximising the way you're training and the way you're living your life with a view to at one point getting a six pack. At the end of each day, then you can look back on your day, your daily performance. Did you maximise it? 
you know, did you slip up? Did you have something? Did you eat something that's going to be less conducive towards getting the six pack in the end? And if you did, okay, there's something you can start to look at improving the following day. But if it's just about one thing, the million pounds, the million followers, whatever it is, those are not healthy goals to have if you're focusing your entire life around them. Because one day, yes, you may well get those things. You may well achieve them. But people have so much focus for such a long period of time on those things that when you get them, I mean, how many times do you hear of people telling you they got the million pounds and it didn't make them happy? And I know that so many people will go, well, it would make me happy to have a million pounds. I know that's what you think. Of course, it would save help with a huge number of things. But if that's your life goal, when you've got the million pounds or the million followers, you've lost your sense of purpose in life because everything was focused on that. So, look, I'm just saying my advice to you and it's this is actually an opinion. So you take it or leave it. I really don't mind. I'm telling you the things that I have learned. And this came from my time in Formula One, that reframing goals, even articulating those goals in a different way to the way you might do it right now. If you set yourself a New Year's resolution, perhaps just adjust the way you framed it, the way you articulated it to yourself about a certain achievement, a certain putting a number on something and maybe just bring it back to something that you can assess every day and consider a failure or not or a success or a failure at the end of each day. Did you do what you set out to achieve? If you did, great, but make those things attainable. Don't make them so far in the distance that, yes, one day you might get them, but there's so much opportunity to lose motivation and fail in the meantime. Those are the things that I wanted to talk about from goals, from that little note back on the 1st of January. Um, now, there was another one. Where did I put the next note? Oh, yeah, the next one was around uh, communication. Um, and I wrote down face to face communication was the note that I wrote. And this came off the back of me going to a meeting, a face to face meeting with the group of people that I work with developing the Seedstream F1 app that many of you know about. That's something that we've been working on for a couple of years. Uh, I have a, a brilliant team of people um, that I work with that are developing that. And that team has grown during the pandemic uh, with people now joining the team that I've never met face to face. People that I've only ever met through the screen of a laptop on a Zoom call. And yet we finally had the opportunity to get together into the same room and start talking for the first time face to face. And it amazed me what a difference it made just being in the same room as other people. How much more I learned about this one particular individual that I've never met, having had multiple, I mean, I don't even know, maybe a hundred Zoom calls over the last year or so. And yet I learned more in that one morning together in the same room than I had done over all of those Zoom calls. And it started to get me thinking about this idea of communication. Communication is multi-layered, and yet when we do it through a screen, we strip back a lot of those layers. And, you know, the pandemic's obviously exacerbated this, but I feel like it was something that we were doing anyway when it came to social media, looking at everything through a screen anyway in the palm of our hands. We, I read an amazing book. I talked about this on, on Instagram, but I read an amazing book uh, about a year ago now called Lost Connections by a guy called Johan Hari. Highly, I highly recommend it. It's called Lost Connections. It's about the connections that humans, the human race, are gradually missing more and more in life in general. 
and how it's impacting us in terms of increasing levels of depression and anxiety. A fascinating, fascinating book, a book that I feel like everyone should read. Do check it out. Feel free to check it out afterwards. But the point that I wanted to make around this was that these levels of communication are being stripped back so much that what I suddenly noticed was we're not getting the same levels of information from people. We're not getting the same connections to people when we do our communication and using technology today. And yet being in the same room opened me up to this person. We probably both shared a lot more than we had done previously anyway, because we could see body language. We could see facial expressions. We could see a lot more than just the words that were coming out. And communication is so important. The reason that I wrote this down, or partly the reason that I wrote this down, the next note in my diary on the next page that I've just noticed, and I think I can link the two together, was I wrote a note that just said uh, F1 arguments, right? Now, that note in my diary came about off the back of an argument that Claire and I had. <laughs> um, now, this was an argument that we had that, that actually went on for a day or so. You know, it, it escalated way beyond where it should have done. Now, these things happen every now and again. And, you know, we're all fine. Today, so don't worry. We resolved it. But the point was the argument that the two of us had escalated because what she said made me angry. What I said made her angry. And the more we said those things, the more angry we got. We didn't break it down and communication played a, a huge role in this. We didn't start to break down and understand what the other side was meaning. Now, the reason I wrote F1 arguments was because every day at the moment, my Twitter feed, my DMs on Insta and Twitter, still to this day, months after it happened, are getting comments from people being quite vociferous about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and the way that ended. And there are two very distinct groups, clearly. There's a Lewis Hamilton fan group. There's a Max Verstappen fan group. They wildly disagree with each other. And these arguments are still raging, raging after all this time. People being actually still very nasty about the whole process. And that whole thing around communication, and this is a part of it, so bear with me. The reason I'm trying to link these together is that these two groups of people who are so angry over an incident that happened in a sporting event months ago are still squabbling and fighting and hurling abuse at each other through screens, through text, hidden behind this veil of anonymity with their devices. And I wonder what levels of communication there would be if those people were in the same room. How often do we ever have arguments to that level when we're in the same room as somebody, to the level that you're probably still seeing on social media? Communication is such an important part of of what we do. And again, to take it back to Formula One, when again, when we were going through these this process in the mid 2000s, communication was identified as one of our biggest opportunities for growth. Transferring information around the team, around the people in that team more efficiently, more effectively could be a huge differentiator between us and the opposition. And it's no different when it comes to communication between fans, between people like Claire and I, what we realised was that we weren't understanding in any way what the other side was was feeling, why they were feeling so strongly, why she was saying what she was saying. I had no capacity in that moment because I was angry to start seeing things from her perspective. And she was exactly the same as me. And for that reason, 
we generated more and more anger. We had less and less capacity to really listen to what the other one was saying. And the argument escalated and rumbled on for a day or so. On, on social media with groups of fans arguing still to this day, what you're never going to get or highly unlikely to get are the two groups of fans completely flipping their opinions on their heads and suddenly seeing things entirely from the other perspective. They're not going to change their mind to from one end of this spectrum to the other. I was never going to do this in this argument with Claire either. I was never going to suddenly just park my feelings and agree with what she was saying. In fact, we still disagree on whatever the original point of the argument was today. But we found somewhere in the middle of that. We found some common ground where a little bit of empathy eventually sunk in, was allowed to creep in. And we started to accept that the reason that she was angry, she felt genuinely angry. So there must be a reason why she felt that way. And she felt the same, understood the same about me. We both had what we felt were valid points. And this is the same with Max Verstappen fans and Lewis Hamilton fans. Both have been so passionately angry about this. There must be something in it from both sides. If you're a Max Verstappen fan or if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan and you're still so wound up and angry about this, it's great that we've got this passion around the sport. But if the other side feel the same, they must have a valid reason for that. So if we can start to just step back a little bit from arguments like this, step back a little bit and start to see a slightly bigger picture. Just try to, even if you can never actually agree on the same thing, start to understand why the other side is feeling the way they're feeling. Why are they so angry about this? You know, if you're feeling angry, there's a very good reason why they're feeling angry too. And to bring this back to this meeting that I'm talking about, this idea of communication on the levels that we're no longer seeing to this day because we're doing everything for a screen strips back so many of those layers that can help us to understand what the other side means, why they're saying what they're saying, why they're angry. Because all we get is a few characters of text. All we get through a Zoom call is a slightly broken up message of somebody's head and shoulders. And when I got into the room with my now colleague, I learned so much more about this person because we started to open up and get all of the layers of communication that humans have you know, evolved to develop over thousands of years. It's one of our greatest skills. We've developed multi-layer communication. And yet gradually we're stripping that away bit by bit and replacing those layers with technology to make life a little bit simpler, a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient. And it really feels like we're losing some of those human characteristics, the connections to take it back to that book. We're losing the human connections that we've spent thousands of years developing. And as a result, we're generating a society that have much less empathy, that have much more anger. And it feels like the current situation in Formula One, and I don't want to talk about the rights and wrongs of that scenario. We still wait for the FIA report as I record this podcast. I'm sure as that arises, as that comes out, more anger will be generated. But again, that report will be published as a series of words. There'll be no room for 
explanation, for emotion, for reasoning behind it. It will just be a series of texts that gets published online and people will then take their opinions and probably really angrily throw those around the internet towards each other. My viewpoint in all of this, and I, I'm, I think it's great that this sport has so much passion that still months later, we're talking, arguing, even discussing at these levels, an incident that happened on the very last day of the season. There is a huge side of that that's fantastic. Not many sports have it to that level. But what I'd love to see is us all just employing a tiny little bit more empathy around these kind of things. Just showing a little bit of understanding of why somebody might feel the other way, even if you can't bring yourself to agree with it. Anyway, that is kind of where I think I probably better leave it this week. Um, you know, look, these are notes from my diary, as I say, that um, that I've gone through the week talking about. Um, in fact, there might be one more that I was going to pick up on. Oh, yeah, there was. Um, OK, let's have one more, because the note I wrote yesterday um, which I feel like I should say, and I want to do this every week, as I say, but the note from yesterday simply says the butterfly effect. And um, and look, we can probably link this back somehow to everything else we've talked about. But the butterfly effect, I wrote that down because yesterday I spent the day at Silverstone and I had the chance to drive some incredible cars. I drove a Porsche 911, brand new 992 uh, 911 around a racetrack. I mean, that is a bucket list type stuff for me. That was a dream come true. And I was sitting there in this car behind the wheel feeling an enormous sense of gratitude and then started to think about how lucky I was to be in that moment, right? And how lucky I was to be experiencing that moment in time. Now, it's a dream for me to be on a racetrack behind the wheel of a car like that. But so many things had to happen for that moment to exist, for me to be there in that moment experiencing it. And if you really, this is quite philosophical, I'm getting pretty deep here, <laughs> but if you start to expand that out, right, the very reason that I was sat behind the wheel of that Porsche yesterday, tearing around a racetrack at great speed, having a whale of a time, came about because of an almost infinite number of moments that had happened before it. And there are some clearly some very obvious ones, right? You know, I've, I got the job. This is part of filming for a show I'm doing, Wheeler Dealer's Dream Car right now. So clearly I had to get that job with Wheeler Dealers for that to happen. But that job came about because I'd done another show for Discovery a few years ago called Driving Wild. Um, that show came about directly off the back of my time in F1. So my years of F1, which was also a dream come true, have led on to this moment. But if you think back even further than that, of course, there were lots of decisions and moments and people that I met, people that met long before me. Moments in time way before I even existed that had to collide, had to align with each other for those moments all to happen at exactly the right time to lead on to the moment yesterday was I was where I was sat behind the wheel of a car. My decision as a teenager to ditch my A-levels and take on an engineering course with a view to getting into Formula One. That moment where I made that decision, I had to go to my parents and have that difficult conversation to say I wanted to drop out my A-levels. That moment had a direct contribution to the reason that I was in that Porsche yesterday on the racetrack. Long before that, you know, the obvious ones of my parents had to meet each other at a specific moment in time. Their parents and the thousands of people and moments that have happened that have survived wars and all manner of, of different things in life. 
so many things that had to happen just to allow us to be here in this very moment, listening to this podcast together, sharing a love of Formula One. The reason that I want to end today's podcast on this note is that the fact that we can't predict exactly where things are going to go in the future, the fact that I don't know what decisions I make today, how they might end up leading on to something big, like the moment that I kind of had this realisation yesterday. But there are some moments that happen, decisions that we make, that can clearly have a big knock-on effect, both for us and for many other people. Imagine the number of people whose lives you have either directly or indirectly contributed to or affected, hopefully positively, but perhaps negatively in some ways too. Imagine the decisions you made, the moments in time that you went through, the things you did, the mistakes you made, the things that you did really well. All of those things have this butterfly effect that go on to literally change the world for many, many moments in years and years and years to come. And I wonder that if we all think a little bit, not too much because you'll drive yourself mad, but think a little bit about the decisions we make today and how they might impact tomorrow, whether we could all just make the world a little bit of a better place. Not just for us, by the way, for everybody else, even people you have no idea, people that you don't even know, people that you've never met, people who don't even exist yet. Now, I know that I'm getting pretty deep on this, but look, it was a real realisation for me yesterday and a thought provoking moment when I had such gratitude for what I was enjoying, for what I was doing and starting to think about what decisions that I'm doing today. What am I, what decisions am I making now? What actions and behaviours am I taking today and where might they lead me to? Why might they lead other people to? The things we do have a way bigger impact than we can possibly imagine. But even if we just try and imagine on a smaller level what tangible impact some of these decisions and actions and behaviours can have, even in the near future, and start to think a little bit more about the impact it has on the people around us, perhaps the world might be a slightly better place for us all. I am honestly going to leave it there um, before I get even deeper than that, which could happen. And look, I don't know where this podcast is going to go. There is no script. There's no plan. It's just a series of notes. As I go through the week, I'm going to reflect on them. I want to add into that your questions and your comments and feedback, of course. I want to add into the moments that happen in the Formula One world. We're on the brink of new cars being released out into the world that we're all going to get to see for the first time in a brand new era of Formula One. And before you know it, we'll have a brand new season. I think Formula One's in a great place. I know that I've been incredibly lucky and privileged to have experienced the things that I've experienced inside that inner sanctum, that inner workings of Formula One. Working alongside, being immersed amongst some of the most brilliant people in every single area of that fantastic industry that is this sport. That privilege is something that I really do want to and love sharing with anybody who's prepared to listen. So if that's you, and I guess now we're at this point of the podcast, let's say it probably is, I I really appreciate it. I want to say a big thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll let me know what you thought. I'm sure you will. And look, let's meet each other again in about a week's time and do it all over again. Have a good one, guys. Ta-da.